Welcome into the Odds and Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Prem, Eric Scopel on the show. Today is a Wednesday, which means it's hump day, which means we answer the top questions that you, the Duck fan, has submitted into the show. Uh, and we've got a lot to dive into. But first, before we do, I want to remind everybody right now that, hey, uh, recruiting is in full swing. Uh, the, the football program is going to have some of the best players on the West Coast, some of the best players nationally on campus for official visits starting this weekend. Uh, Cyrus Moss, the highest rated four-star prospect in the country for the 2022 recruiting class. He will be here. He is being recruited to replace Kayvon Thibodeau next season, and he will be on campus for an official visit. The women's team, they've got multiple five-star players on campus. The men's team, they've got a five-star on campus this weekend. Uh, the Oregon programs across the campus are fully loaded with recruiting, and we've got an awesome promo right now, 60% off an annual subscription. You save a huge chunk of change by joining with this promo right now. It also is the most impactful way of, of helping this show. So if you're ever looking for like, what's the best way to help support the show, subscribing to DuckTerritory.com allows Eric and I to continue to do these three or four days a week for free for you guys out there. Uh, and so highly encourage you to check out DuckTerritory.com uh, and that promotion, 60% off an annual membership. Oh, and on top of that, uh, you'll you'll also get CBS All Access. Right now, I guess it's rebranded to Paramount, which uh, comes with a whole bunch of TV, streaming, sports, live TV, all of that uh, through the, your app or, or your smartphone or your computer or your whatever device you want to use. So jump in on that now. Okay, Eric, uh, we've got five questions and we've got some recruiting. We've got some team stuff and we've got some, some good like hall of lame uh, <laughs> stuff, which will be perfect for the end. Uh, yeah. When to the last, let's jump in with this right now. All right. We'll start with this one from at Luis bond. If JT to out decides to commit to Oregon, does he start the fall at the bottom of the depth chart, seeing how he missed all this time, or is he just too talented to keep out of the rotation? Hashtag Ots and Audibles. Um, hmm. Well, he'll start at the bottom, but it, it's not going to be, a, might be, a day or be two. there long. I was going to say, like, yeah, like maybe he'll start fall camp the first day he's there at the bottom. If it, it, Again, the, hypothetically, he's committing in this scenario. And there's, right. like, I'm not, we're not saying he is or that it's happening, but it's hypothetical and that's part of the show. Um, yeah, like maybe he starts as like a third with the, running with the threes or something like that. But like I'm expecting by the time the season starts, he's at worst like your third or fourth best defensive lineman based upon the pedigree. I mean, this is the top rated player in the country. Um we saw with KT a couple of years ago that maybe it takes a little time for, for him to see the field as a starter and, and play like a huge number of reps. And maybe that's the same case here because there are some guys returning. Well, and Lewis but, points out that JT won't be here for true. like, he wasn't here for spring football. He, he'll miss part of the summer workout periods. Um, fair. You know, so there, there is going to be some time that he's going to miss and, and wherever he goes, whether it's Oregon or not. Um, so I, I think it's safe to assume like, He'll start on the bottom of the depth chart, but he won't he won't be there for long. And the, the question then becomes how big of an impact can he make? And I, I think even with KT and even with the depth that they have uh, along the D-line, especially at defensive end, I, I think 
JT is a guy that, that will force his way onto the field. He probably won't be a guy that starts 10 games for Oregon, but he'll play in all 13, 14, 15 games that they play. Yeah. So like, to put, so in terms of who he'd be competing with, I, I assume he'd probably be playing defensive end. Yeah. He's not, and, and we should say KT's playing a standing position. I think those, they're not the same player. They're not playing the same spot. KT's like 30 pounds lighter. He plays a little differently than JT does. So like, he's competing in theory if he does end up at Oregon with like Brandon Dorless and Keon Ware Hudson and Christian Williams, those type of guys for playing time. And I don't want to discount those players at all, but like, I I do think at some point the cream rises to the top. We saw that with KT a couple years ago. I think we saw that with Noah Sewell a year ago and Justin Flo even this spring. And uh, maybe Justin Flo is the example. I mean, he got hurt. So that's kind of unfair, but like, maybe that's, you know, if you're looking like you know, slowest development, maybe he does take some time and, and isn't a huge impact guy right away. But like my sense is if he does end up at Oregon and, and Matt brings up good points in terms of he is missing more than just like spring football. He's also missing some of summer and, and getting kind of acclimated with things and learning the playbook and all of that. I think that stuff sort of could slow him down. But like I, I don't see a scenario where if he ends up at Oregon that we just don't hear from him at all. Unless, again, knock on wood, it's, it's injury related. I agree. Like uh... He is going to step in and he'll need some time, but he'll be the end and you're not going to take KT off the field or, you know, Brandon Dorless, you know, he's not going to all of a sudden lose 80% of his snaps. Right. But JT will, will, if he goes to Oregon, he'll be brought along as quickly as he possibly can. And I would, I would expect, you know, maybe by the middle of the year, he's playing uh, a large number of snaps. All right, next one from at Robbie Parness. I know you always keep a few spots for the must takes at the end, but other than that, what are the odds of the 2022 class basically being full by the kickoff against Fresno State? So it's a season opener. Sure. Any, and he also asks, any updated number on how many you expect the Ducks to take in this class? Um, Let's jump on the second one first, just because I think that kind of is the context for for the numbers we're talking about. Um, Matt, I, I, this class like already, I don't know, maybe close to half full, a little a little bit past that. I don't know, maybe pretty close to that. Are you, this is going to be a smaller class, right? Like, what, what yeah. do you have a number in your mind? Like, are you thinking 20, 20 to twenty five, or what? Do you have a, an so, exact number? So, so Oregon has eight commits right now, and if you look at on our on our members message board we have a 2021 Oregon football scholarship distribution chart um, and that we have accounted for 81 of the 85 available scholarships Oregon has for this class or for this roster for 2021 season right. so they right now they have four open scholarships now that means they could give it to a walk on they could give it uh, to a guy that's coming into the program, they could carry it over. Um, but right now they have 81. So they have four available extra scholarships. So four of the eight guys that they have currently committed uh, are, are taking open spots. So they have 10 super, super juniors on the roster, Travis Dye, CJ Verdell, DJ Johnson, Malasala Omabe Lalu, Alex Forsyth, TJ Bass, Popo Amave, Isaac Slade, Matuatia, Bennett Williams, and Karsten Battle. So what, what basically it, what that means is, is those guys will be seniors in 2022 if they want to be. 
if they want to be. I have my doubts that CJ Verdell will do that. Um, I also kind of wonder, like, does Travis Dye come back? Um, does Isaac Slade? Yeah, does Isaac back? Slade come back? Does Sala come back? Uh, does Bass or Forsyth come back? Um, I could see Bennett Williams opening up, you know, and choosing to use that. So that will be something to monitor. And then you also got a couple younger guys in a Pittman, a Devin Williams, uh, Stephen Jones, Kayvon Thibodeau, Brandon Dorless, um, Mace Funa, Mikhail Wright, Jamal Hill, all guys, Rome McKinley, all guys who could go pro after their super sophomore years. It's, it's a very complicated answer. I think Oregon, I, I feel very confident Oregon will not sign 25 guys in this class. And then from there, it's like, okay, they're probably hovering somewhere between 14 to 20 right now. Like, worst case scenario, and I mean worst case scenario as in, like, if you want to sign the maximum guys possible, worst case scenario, and I use that in a very, there should be a better word to use, but I can't use it right now. Uh, Every guy on your team comes back. You probably end up signing more like 12, 13, 14 guys. Um, If a CJ Verdell and a Malasala and an Isaac Slade and then a KT and a Micah Pittman and a Mikhail Wright all go pro. Well, now all of a sudden that 12 grows to like 18 and then maybe, um, you know, one or two guys transfer between now and December and okay, well now you've, you can expand that to 20 and then maybe another unexpected guy goes pro after the season's over. And in the February signing period, you know, you now know you can go to to, to 22. And so right now going into December, I would be shocked if they signed more than 20 guys. And I'll be kind of shocked if they sign like 18, 19, 20. Um, It's going to be in that teen range, high teens, uh, how, for how things are progressing right now. But the, and it sucks because I can't give you a hard answer, but right. it's literally like a sliding scale. And we won't truly have a good idea probably until December. And that makes this part, the first part of the question of saving scholarships kind of tough to answer for, especially about like, are they going to be done by, you know, September 3rd when they play Fresno state? Like maybe they think they are, but they might also have some extra spots available for December and they might have some spots. Like I could see it being a thing where, where they, they sign what X number is in December, but are fully aware that they could have as many as four to five additions in February. If the scholarship, like if a couple guys go pro that didn't, and maybe somebody has a huge bowl game or plays really good down the stretch in pack 12 play and decides to go pro. Um, maybe a guy thinks he's going to be a starter all season. Isn't a starter by the end of the season, he gets beaten out and decides to transfer or go pro. Um, you know, there, there's just some different scenarios in terms of like, you could see some things take place post early September that would really impact the math here. So like, I, and like, and like, I think to, to answer Robbie's question, like I, I think the trend we've seen the last couple of years and it's kind of hard to know if it should be a trend because recruiting stuff has been so weird, but like this Oregon does have a lot of success early and does get a lot of its recruiting done during the summer and they get into fall and the focus, it becomes, they kind of, you know, whittle it down to maybe a couple dozen guys they're focused on for four or five spots. And so like, 
I could definitely see a scenario where we do get to September and the class is largely full. But like Matt said, I think there's going to be a lot of things that are taking shape following September, following December, maybe even into February when there's some fallout after the season with scholarships. Yeah. And I think that's probably like the biggest complaint. If you talk to coaches um, with the NCAA and their decision about uh, opening up the free year for all the players is they gave no guidance towards right yeah. what happens after and everyone has to basically assume that they have to be at the 85 scholarship limit going into the 2022 football season. But there's three more classes of guys that could legitimately just say, I want that extra year and I I'm going to take it. And they have to account for that. And so that's where, that's where the NCAA is kind of falling all over themselves. They did a really good thing, but then they also didn't like long-term think about it and provide any guidance on it. Yeah. And, you know, and we know from talking with coach Cristobal, like didn't take shots at the NCAA, but he did make note of like, it's really hard to do this, the scholarship math, math, Matt was running through. Like Cristobal is clearly very aware of that. And, and has said a couple of times, like, yeah, it's going to be tough to manage. Like, okay, we think we've got this number of spots, but what happens with the 85 number? What happens with guys taking advantage of that extra, extra year? So a lot of moving parts. I think, I think you can definitely though expect them to have a good amount of progress done by the time you see September, but um there's going to be a lot of work to do. I think the next couple of years after the season ends just because the numbers are a little wonky. All right. From at Nat Fod, I heard a lot of talk about Robbie Ashford being a star on the baseball team, but according to their official roster, he hasn't played since April 6th. Is he injured? Is he not? Hashtag odds and audibles. Um, and I present this question because, and as Nat Fod posted on Twitter shortly after Ashford has actually stopped playing baseball to focus on football. Um, he announced that I think on Instagram about a week ago, and this question is a little old, but I wanted to include it in the bunch today just because I think it's an important conversation. Quarterback news is always pretty integral, and it's not something we haven't talked about. Um, I thought Ashford looked really good in the spring game. In fact, like I, I came away thinking he was probably further ahead than I thought he would be and probably felt more optimistic about the possibility of him being a starter yeah. at some point at Oregon. And I'm guessing he felt that way. Joe Moorhead felt that way. Mario Cristobal felt that way. And then this is, again, this is like my, my instinct here, and, and maybe, maybe it's completely wrong, and maybe Robbie just decided he didn't like doing two sports and it was too much. But I think, to me, I come away going, like, I think Robbie Ashford really thinks he has a chance to be a starting quarterback maybe as soon as 2022 and says, if I focus all my attention on this offseason and into the fall um, and into next spring, like, I have a real chance of winning that job. And I think he probably also recognizes he's doing himself a bit of a disservice by trying to do both. Yeah. You know, it's hard to focus half your time. And it, this is what happens almost every year. I mean, we're, almost every time a guy tries to do two sports, I think of Eric Armstead trying to play basketball, you know, a couple of years ago, a pretty good basketball player in his own right. Six, eight, great defensive lineman, obviously at Oregon, but tries to do basketball for, I think plays what maybe any kid one basket. Matt would probably know better than I probably plays in like three career minutes and ends up focusing on football after that. And obviously it was the right choice. Yep. He's now making millions of dollars playing in the NFL for the 49ers. I, I think Robbie Ashford probably goes, hey, I want to do baseball. I'm a good baseball player, but like, boy, I could maybe be a starting quarterback and the focus has to be on that. So I, I don't know. Like, got, I think he's like but, a legitimate player here. Like, yeah, I agree. I don't know. And maybe that was just me being naive and not taking it seriously. But when he signed, like, I was like, oh, cool. He's a four-star guy, but he's probably going to go baseball. And then COVID hit. And I just kind of like never really just bought into him truly well, being – a legitimate, you know, player candidate for well, you know, part the of that, starting part, role. And I, I'm talking like he could yeah. be number two easy 
for, for Oregon going into 2021 behind Anthony Brown. Yeah. And I was, sorry, I, I was just going to say part of that is that we, we were hearing he was going to like sign a baseball contract yeah. probably. Like that was, that was a lot of the Intel we were gathering and that kind of Intel suggests someone who's probably not going to be long for football if they're focusing on maybe playing baseball professionally. I, and clearly he's putting that baseball career on hold right now to focus on football. And this is somebody who has a, a legitimate chance to be like a major league baseball player, or at least a really good minor league player, at, you know, at, at whatever level he's putting that on hold to focus on football. And I think that means something and says something. And I'm with Matt in terms of like, I, I do think there was a fair amount of just kind of overlooking him, which is interesting to say, cause he's a big time prospect out of Alabama at a really, really prominent school. I think it's one of the top schools in the state. Um, he played down there at it, it, he should have probably had a little bit different expectations, but it was really easy to go, Oh, it's Jay Butterfield and it's Ty Thompson. And then there's this Robbie Ashford guy. He's kind of doing baseball. He's kind of doing football. Who really knows? I, I came away from the spring game going like, like this, this guy could be a stud. This guy could be a star. And like, it may, maybe even a situation where if they do, and this is now we're kind of going way down the rabbit hole, but like, I could see a spot where like maybe Butterfield wins the quarterback job or Thompson wins a quarterback job in 22. But like, but, they keep Ashford around and he plays quite a bit as kind of like an option quarterback in this offense. I don't know, but like, I think there are things he does athletically that just simply other guys can't do. Um, and that's why it differentiates. And I think gives him a shot to really, to really compete for, for a job and, and maybe win it. And that's why I, I would suggest baseball's probably in the, in the rear view for a little bit. Yeah. It, it, it's certainly something to, to watch and he's not making this decision if, in my opinion, he's not making this decision probably if, if he's looking at it as I'm the fourth guy right, on the depth chart. Like he probably has, he bet on himself to play both. And he's had success, success with both. And now it's probably come to the conclusion of like, I need to choose one and I'm going to bet on myself again that, you know, it might not be in 2021, but I could put, I could really, if I focus just on football, I could put myself in position that when Anthony Brown graduates and moves on from the program, I could be the clear front runner to, to win the job. And I have to think Oregon's coaching staff has probably said similar things. I, you know, I mean, that's one of the things they talk about is being honest and open with these kind of competition battles. I'm guessing they evaluated the spring and came away and said like, Hey, Robbie, like you really could, if you put your mind fully on this, like you could do this, you could win this job. And I, I, I don't think that's a crazy concept in the least based upon what we've seen so far. And again, it's really early with these three young quarterbacks to really yes. make a call. And I think that's part of it too, is it's so early. It's like, you see the potential and the, uh, you know, the, what the, the upside looks like for all three guys. And you go, that's could be really, really something special. And I think Ashford certainly applies there. All right. From at Benjamin Schmucker, how do you expect Tim DeRuiter to maximize Oregon's talent at linebacker and on the edge? I noticed your top 10 Oregon players listed three of them, Tibbs, Noah, and ISM. And there is a strong argument for Funa, uh, Flo, and Ajax in the 11 to 20 range. Um, by the way, Benjamin is, is referencing a story I posted on Tuesday, which was ranking the 10 best players for Oregon's 2021 football season. If you want to take a look at that, go ahead and, uh, and check it out on the site. I'm planning on doing uh, more rankings all the way to 50 over the course of the next couple of weeks. So uh, I'll, I'll be providing those updated rankings um, throughout. Um, back to the question, though, from, from Ben, I think – I think we've already seen it's going to be a little bit different, at least than it was a year ago. And, and again, I think the, the big takeaway from the spring is that they basically played two down linemen and then one standing edge rusher. Um, and I don't think that's by mistake. I think you look at the way Oregon's roster is constructed and from a purely from a numbers perspective, this is the case. And purely, I think from a talent perspective, this is the case. They're loaded at linebacker. Yeah. Like they, they have as many linebackers as they do defensive 
linemen. They have more than they have at defensive back. Um, the recruiting ranking of these guys are like almost, I, I, I probably could have done it in prep, but like my guess is the recruiting ranking from like a star is about a full star ranking above the other positions. Cause you've got a three, five stars. If you're including Thibodeau in there and then a bunch of four stars, um, this is an, this is a group that was really talented and you wanted to maximize it. And I think the fact that you're now seeing them basically play four of them at once, whereas like a couple of years ago, it was like kind of two and a half. I think that's pretty significant in terms of what they're trying to do. Um, and I look at this group and think, yeah, that would have been my approach too. We talked about in the podcast, we talked about in the podcast about like, maybe this is how you do play flow a little bit more is if you play Thibodeau out there. And I think, I think you see the talent there and you go, we got to just get as many of these guys on the field as possible. Um, And so I think that'll be part of it. Certainly schematically, I think you'll see, uh, you know, and this is, this is more like based upon what Deruder has said rather than what I I know from watching, but like, I think you're going to see quite a bit of misdirection up front with these guys. You know, he's talked about trying to keep the offense kind of off balance with, Hey, we're going to maybe drop Thibodeau into coverage because you think we're rushing him every time, but the other side is going to be where the, you know, Mace Foon on the other edge is going to come off or, or vice versa and sending guys up the middle. He talked about wanting to send Noah Sulmore up the, up the middle and you got Justin Flo out there. I imagine you do something similar. So I think you're going to see it be really a, an aggressive defense. And that's what DeRuder has done over the course of his career. You know, I know we, we asked n- numerous questions when he was hired about forcing turnovers because under Andy Avalos last year, it wasn't very good. And, and DeRuder <clears throat> was really, you know, something that he's kind of takes pride in is forcing turnovers and being really aggressive. And you might get beaten sometimes on a third down pass play where they get you downfield and they get quarterback, you know, gets it out fast, but you might also, you know, get a strip sack on that play just as easy. So I think you're going to see a lot more aggression from, from this defensive front under Deruder than you did under Avalos. It just feels like a lot of their best athletes are at this spot defensively. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, it doesn't really matter what kind of scheme you want to run. You just want your best athletes, your best players on the field as often as you possibly can. And so I, I think um, that's how we're going to, you know, they've been gravitating towards this and now they're developing a scheme that best suits this makeup of its roster. And we're just naturally going to see more and more guys get out on the field because they're, they're playing the edge and their more talented players are on that, in that position group. I mean, you're not going to take Kayvon Thibodeau off. You're not going to take, um, you, you want Mace Funa on the field as much as possible. Justin Flo, like you said, like this may be the, the avenue for him to get on the field. And it's just like, just rotate these guys in and out and keep everybody fresh. And you have almost no drop off from, uh, the instance of a starter or, or a bench guy. And in some instances, maybe in certain packages, the bench guy is better because you maybe yeah. you insert Adrian, you put say like hypothetically, you put Adrian Jackson in for Mace Funa in some packages at Jackson's better other packages. Funa's better. I think, I think that's the other part that's exciting with this, with this group up front. And I'm sure to and, and everybody will tap into is just the, the versatility. You have different guys. You can do different things and they have a lot of them. So um, good question. I think Ben, I, I, I look at this group and I, I, I think defensively, it's probably the strength of the defense. Um, there's a lot of really good players on defense, but like you said, in my top 10 rankings, it wasn't by mistake that like three of the top 10 guys in the team, I think are, are playing linebacker um, or, or a hybrid linebacker position. All right. We're going to wrap it up with a little bit of a laugh from at duck for quacks. If the university of Oregon were to open a hall of lame, what would your first ballot hall of lamers be? A few contenders, uh, Dyer's knee, robo duck, the 2006 Las Vegas bull helmets, 
uh, posts in MacArthur Court that blocked your view. I was very familiar with those. Um, and then hashtag do something. And then he also used the hashtag odds and audibles. Thanks for using the hashtag. All those listening, that is a very easy way for me to find your questions and get you on the show each week. Um, I, I, I do love Duck for Quax's questions. He always throws out some funny stuff that we can end the show with. Um, good list. Like, I think, like, maybe my favorite, honestly, is the do something thing because it was such an overplayed kind of like, and essentially didn't really mean anything like <laughs> saying that Willie Taggart used for his one year here. I mean, do something is about as like broad as a. <laughs> I'm doing something right now, but I'm not doing anything. Like you can do. Yeah. That's about as broad of a, <laughs> a, a command as possible. It's, I think it's maybe the most broad command you could make do something. And like, if you're telling your whole team just to do something, I don't feel like that's particularly instructive of what you want them to do. It kind of reminds me of, and maybe this is another candidate, maybe not, but of like, Ernie Kent back in the day when he, the offense was stalling was just yelling, would just start yelling. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and kind of going like to where, I guess I'm doing something but like, <laughs> where am I moving towards? What am I moving? Like, yeah, it's not great that I'm standing, but maybe we should be running an offense or I should have some command of where I'm going. Um, it was one so, of those things where it was always Marty move, Marty move. Marty's like, I'll get, I'll go run to this other spot and stand there for a while until you tell me to move again. I mean, it's, 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 so that was almost like kids sports basketball where you've got the kids and they're just standing around like, all right, guys, move around, do something. Um, but, uh, but that reminded me of that to do something always reminded me of, of Ernie Kent yelling to Marty Lunin or Bryce Taylor, whoever it was to move because offense got stagnant. Um, just didn't seem like it really accomplished a lot. I can definitely relate to the post in MacArthur court that blocked views. Um, yes. that, and, but that was also part of the charm of, of Mac, of Mac court. And I probably wouldn't include that on a hall of lane just because I have so much love for that. I mean, I, I think Matt and I, we both grew up going to games there all the time and it holds a very special place. Like, yeah, it was like kind of annoying when you had to like peek your head around a corner to be able to see something and, and whatnot. But like, I don't know. I felt like that was part of the character. Um, I don't even, maybe I'm, this is how little I know about uniforms. I don't even remember the 2006 Las Vegas bull helmets. Oh, pull they were like, they had like the yellow, they were called Grello, unif- like yellow and greenish kind of. And they had, I think they had like very, very faint, like pink looking flames. Oh, on I, the helmet. I found them. Yeah, that's a good can. That's a they good are really terrible. They, they are like the worst helmet that Oregon's ever had for for uniforms. And it's so weird because Oregon always kind of like knocks everything out of the park. But those really uniform I, that whole like experiment or experiment that whole like weekend was just a disaster for Oregon football when they went to the Vegas Bowl. They had awful uniforms. BYU just kicked their ass and their offense was horrible. That you know, Mike Bellotti made a whole bunch of changes um, after that that bowl game. And that's ultimately kind of what brought Chip Kelly to Eugene um, to become the offensive coordinator. So like that might, Eric, that just might have to be like the ultimate hall of lame because if that doesn't happen it probably doesn't lead to Bilotti, you know, replacing Gary Croton with Chip Kelly, which then doesn't right. bring the spread offense, which doesn't bring all the success down the road. Roboduck, I don't know, like kind of that's a good one thing, but like that's a good one. That that, that was stupid. Yeah. <laughs> that was really terrible. That was a bad marketing. You know, Dyer's knee though. How Dennis Dixon's knee getting torn? Like 
that was yeah. also one I remember I was in college around that time and um, or maybe I was just out of college and I was at a buddy's house watching that Arizona game and it was like the most depressing thing that we've watched in a long time when he tore his ACL or, or I guess he had torn it, it against it the, Arizona State the, the week yeah. before and it but no one really knew about it and he re-injured it or I don't even know how to describe it, but clearly got hurt against Arizona. And it was like, Oh no, like he's not coming back from that. And I, uh, that was depressing. Well, that I was gonna, to be on the list. I was going to say there's like sub sub. I, I have a short, uh, a short Dennis Dixon story. I want to share in a second, but there, there's like a subsection here of like things that were really disappointing versus things that were just like, didn't work. Like I think robo duck and helmets are like things that are just like kind of fails from the marketing department. Then you have like Dyer's knee, Dennis Dixon's knee, Boucher's knee. Um, how about just the 2020 month of March where the women's team might win a national championship and yeah. uh, the men's team probably competes and pushes at least to the first couple weekends and maybe gets to a final four. I don't know, but Pritchard seemed like he was ready for something special. But I, I, wanted, I did want to circle back around just because I, I, I thought of it. When Dixon blew his knee out, I was obviously uh, rooting for Oregon. And uh, the next day I went to school, I was at Gonzaga up in Spokane and it's kind of cougar country. And the professor in my very first class, the first thing he says is, that sure didn't look like the number one team last night because Oregon had been number one at the time and uh, looked like they were headed for a national championship. And I about got up and fought him because that was a, that was a very devastating loss and, uh, and actually probably didn't help my final grade in that class. Cause that was like, mid because <laughs> I basically screamed at the guy and was like, you don't know what you're talking about. They didn't have their quarterback, blah, 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 blah. And uh, made it, made a real asshole of myself. And I don't think that <laughs> I ever really appreciated that, but that was my, that's my memory. I have tied to that is how defensive I got in, in a class that didn't end up going very well for me. So um, other candidates for a hall of lame, I, I mentioned the 2020 last spring for basketball. Um, and that's just a, in general, that was a really lame thing, but like, I don't know if you want to include that because everybody sort of went through that, but like Oregon specifically might've lost a, a women's basketball championship, might've lost a really special um, March Madness from that perspective. So like, so I'm, I'm, tr I'm trying to think of more because you kind of have your, your category that are like disappointing moments, which I've run through. You've got your robo duck helmets. Are there other uniforms that you really don't like? It's hard for me because I'm not a big uniform guy. How about, how about uh, Nebraska getting to the championship game against Miami in 2002 over Oregon, even though perfect. like Colorado just destroyed them in the big 12 championship game. And, like, that also would remove, though, one of the greatest bull wins in program history for the football team because they went and just destroyed Colorado in the Fiesta Bowl. But everyone knew that Oregon was the true number two team in the country and probably had the best chance to compete against Miami. They wouldn't have won. I, I wouldn't have picked them. <laughs> it's like the but, best Miami, best team ever. Yeah, but, like – that robbed Oregon of a national championship appearance. Like that was, and that was really lame. And like Oregon clearly was by far the, the, the better team of both Nebraska and Colorado and Nebraska loses the big 12 championship. They just get demolished. It's not even close. And yet they still find a way to get into the, the BCS championship game uh, against Miami. That, that might be one of them. Um, are there other, other, I'm trying to think of the other like game losing plays that's uh, here's one that probably we should Cameron have said Colvin diving for the end zone, fumbling it out of it. 
that's pretty bad. I was going to think against Stanford, the touchdown. Well, first off, DeAnthony missing the block for Marcus Mariota. That game goes to overtime. And then some, I don't know. I don't know if he was in or not, but they said it was a touchdown and Oregon lost and probably would have played for a national championship that game too. Or, or yeah, that, they would have won because they would have destroyed uh, yeah. Notre Dame. Yeah. Yeah, they would have played Notre Dame in the championship. So, like, that that's another one that popped into my head, That just that whole Stanford. The other, the other Stanford game was C.J. Verdell's fumble recently that they, that they blew. Um, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just now – I don't know if these are like – these probably don't make a Hall of Fame all-time list, but I'm just thinking of recent plays that also kind of like D- Dyer's knee being down are, are, are kind of bummers. Um, I, I don't think there's a whole lot else. I'm just trying to think of like there's there's other like – you mentioned Matt Court, the facility issues there. I don't think there's anything at Matthew Knight that really is problematic. Odson's fantastic. Jane Sanders is great. Obviously, the track is going to be incredible once you start seeing competition there. Um, the do something hashtag. I'm trying to think if there's other bad sayings or, or anything that, I mean, Mario Crispel doesn't really have one, but I don't find that to be lame. I'd rather you don't just force it. I don't know, like a, I guess he says like iron sharpens iron, but he doesn't, that's not like something ends every, it's like it ends every press conference saying iron sharpens iron. Right. Like, like Willie ended every press conference telling us to do something, which I always did. Cause I always went and did a thing directly afterwards, whether it was get in my car and drive or, or go write a story. I always did something shortly after. Um, so, so nice of you to follow the rules. Always following rules. I don't know. Is there anything else that jumps to your mind, Matt? Cause I'm kind of running a blank for, for the rest of these and maybe we're missing some really obvious ones, but I can't really think of any. No, I, I don't, I don't see anything that, I'm, I, that's like automatic and we'll probably for, we'll probably forget, you know, a couple of them, but any moments or games I'm, I'm having a hard time coming up with beyond what we've already brought up. Maybe we'll throw this one on the message board. See if there's any duck fans on duck character. Yeah, absolutely. And see what they have to say. And if you're not a member, that's another reason to go join that discussion and see kind of what pops up there. But because I do think this is a good, you know, at least discussion topic from duck for quacks. Sure. Sure. hundred percent. I agree. All right. That's going to do it for us here on the Austin Audible's podcast. Thank you for submitting your questions. Thank you uh, for listening to the show. Thank you for subscribing for free for the podcast and making sure that your device that you ever, that you listen to gets this notification that we are live or that we're up uh, and you listen to the show. And if you go out and check out duckterritory.com and subscribe, thank you for supporting the show uh, in that manner as well. And until then, we'll, t- we'll talk to you next time here on the Austin Audible's podcast. Talk to you later, folks.